Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. So glad you're back here on Stand Strong in the Word. Today, we're going to be discussing the announcement of the incarnation that Joseph hears in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, before you jump into Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Already we're told here that Joseph goes to Galilee. Well, he has Mary with him. So what happened after the, the birth of John the Baptist? And then, of course, you know, we saw at the end of Luke chapter 1, the praise that Zechariah gives on the birth of John the Baptist. Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, again, as we're looking at a chronological order of events, we have to look at now Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 before we jump back to Luke chapter 2. So let me read Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he will be called Jesus. Okay, so here's a couple things when we're talking about this title today, Joseph Hears About the Incarnation. Okay, leading up to this point, we know that Elizabeth knows about it. We know that Zechariah knows about it. We know that Mary knows the, the child that they're going to give birth to. And so when she returns and Joseph here, we're told, is betrothed now to Mary. And again, what's key about this word betrothed in, those, in that culture at that time, this meant that it, it was a promise that was made between this couple for marriage. They were engaged. It was a promise that they had because in those days, the parents were the ones that arranged the marriages. There was contracts, there was negotiations that took place that were settled by the parents of both of these couple of the couple on both sides. And so they were betrothed, we're told here. So they this couple was referred to as a husband and a wife. They were treated as a married couple. Now, any breach of the of this betrothment, if you will, was considered adultery, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. So before they came together, when this says here in verse 18, Joseph and Mary, again, they were not officially living together. They, of course, did not have sexual intercourse. They did not consummate the marriage up to this point. In, those, in that custom, in those days, there was about a year of this betrothment, of this engagement. And what the, what the soon-to-be husband would do was he would prepare with the guidance of his family the home in which he would he would live with his soon-to-be wife. Now, she, in expectation, would be prepped and ready for the coming celebration, the, the procession, if you will, the, of the 
the bride waiting for the groom to come to to take her. So she'd be in her waiting gown leading up to that point. It can happen in any given day. So as he's prepping and getting his house in order, he would come then get his wife. So during this period of time that Joseph and Mary were still separated, that they were not living with each other officially and obviously consummating the marriage at this point, he finds out that she's pregnant. But what he doesn't know yet, what he what Joseph doesn't understand yet, is that this child that his his wife is found to be with is was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As we know, Mary was a virgin. The Hebrew word that Isaiah seven fourteen, and you see in the Greek that's translated here from the Hebrew is Alma in Isaiah seven fourteen. And so again, I don't have time to elaborate, but th- there's some controversy in text that that people are saying. It's not definitive that she was a virgin, but clearly when you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, I've talked about this in my previous podcast, and what we know of the virgin birth doctrine, the teaching that she did not have any sexual relationships. There was no intercourse that Mary had experienced prior to giving birth to Jesus. That's important because of his impeccability. What's interesting, however, though, there is a cult out there known as Mormonism, and I've had many engagements with these people love them to death, appreciate a lot of their fervor, their devotion, their dedication going door to door. But in their fundamental teaching, their doctrinal beliefs is that Elohim, the God they worship, took on a human flesh and he came into the world and he had sexual relations with Mary. Hence, through that sexual encounter between Elohim and Mary, Jesus was born because in their teachings, Jesus is the physical, uh, he existed, but then went to impregnate um, Mary, for Jesus to come into the world, he had to have those sexual relationships. That's heretical teaching. So we don't hold to that at all. You don't see that in Scripture at all. Matter of fact, according to a good commentary, The Life of Christ, a study guide to the gospel record by Mr. Mills, he's, he writes, uh, quote, Consider the 11 clear gospel assertions of the virgin birth in Jesus' prenatal record. Mary is specifically re- referred to as a virgin in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, Matthew Chapter 1, verse 23, her virginity is defined in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, in Matthew 1, 25. It is alluded to in Luke chapter 1, verse 49, in Matthew 1, 16. The Holy Spirit's sole responsibility for Jesus' conception is clearly asserted in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, 35. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, in the miraculous nature of Jesus' conception is emphasized in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. So this idea that G, that Mary was not a virgin or that she had sexual intercourse with someone in the case Mormonism or whatever, any other heretical teaching is false. That's not what the Bible teaches. We as Christians hold to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, we can't fully fathom and explain it and how that goes about, but we do believe it to be a miracle. And we do believe that the Holy Spirit was the cause of, of how she was conceived with Jesus. We know that he could not be born by the seed of man because man is sinful. Jesus could not inhabit a sinful body from the point of conception because we believe that he was sinless and he had to be sinless because he was a perfect lamb who was shed for our sins on the cross. So that's staying consistent with Christian theology. Now, moving on, we notice here that Joseph is in a pickle, basically, because in verse 19, he's resolving to divorce Mary quietly. Now, remember, the reference is given, a description is given about 
Joseph is that he was righteous. Do you remember Zechariah was mentioned as righteous? Elizabeth is righteous. And even their son-to-be, John the Baptist, was righteous. And here, Joseph is a righteous man. Now, this righteous man finds out that apparently his soon-to-be wife, this young, precious little girl, Mary, was not living a righteous life. She was unrighteous because it seems like she broke this betrothment between her and her husband, and she got pregnant from somebody now, this, the fact that he was resolving divorce her quietly upon hearing about Mary's pregnancy. See, Joseph had a right to annul the marriage. They were still in the one-year waiting period leading up to the wedding procession. So rather than publicly humiliate or even have her stoned publicly upon hearing that she had broken the betrothal between her and Joseph, Deuteronomy chapter 22, specifically in verses 23 and 24, give the right for a woman or any man who breaks the, the marriage vows and sleeps with another man's wife or vice versa. So here in context, Joseph opts to end the betrothal and, and, and the betrothal between him and Mary in private. This was an attempt to protect her public reputation and as well as his life, her, her family, herself, as well as Joseph and his family. Now in verse 20, we're told as he considered these things, um, you can imagine, obviously, as he's contemplating these things, the word considered here literally means it's an extended thought. It's a very mature, deliberate thought. So he's probably weighing all these options. He's balancing the Mosaic law, his love for his wife, the plans and preparation he's been undergoing before he was going to go get his wife in that wedding procession, considering possibly how he can redeem the marriage, how he could possibly talk to Mary about this whole thing. Now, remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah knew of the birth, and they knew, or excuse me, the coming birth, they knew of the pregnancy because of the prophecy and the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. And 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 Mary had the, the, the opportunity to spend time with, with her family, these mature, godly, uh, this mature, godly couple that were going to give birth to the prophet who prepared the way for her son. But see, Joseph, there was no access to any of this. He didn't know any of these things, so he's considering his options, and then this dream happens. In Greek, it's an onar. It could possibly mean a vision acting as a supernatural form of confusion, or excuse me, form of com- confusion. That would make it even worse. Uh, it was a supernatural form of communication that this angel was having with with Joseph. So that's the cool thing at this point, is that, again, we continue to see this the angels appearing to Zachariah when he was in the temple. He goes home and he tells Elizabeth. Mary receives the vision from Gabriel and in the revelation that she would give birth to the Son of God. And so she goes and talks to Elizabeth and they have that time together. Zachariah gives the predictive prophecy of not only his son, but the soon-to-be Messiah who's coming that Mary will conceive. Joseph is contemplating now hearing these things. An angel appears to him now. And then we're going to see in Luke chapter 2 that angels are going to appear to the shepherds and they're going to go to Bethlehem and they're going to worship Jesus when he's in the manger. So these angels continue to appear um, throughout the whole course of the announcement, the birth, and afterwards when Jesus goes before the temple to be to be circumcised. And we'll get to that in the next podcast. But notice now the phrase that's used, son of David, in reference to Joseph. Now, in my previous podcast, I talked about the genealogy. So look up the podcast on genealogies, and I break down the genealogy of Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. But Joseph came from the line of King David. And this was also a phrase that was refer- that was used in reference to Jesus multiple times. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Because it was a fulfillment of prophecy that was given to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now notice the angel tells Joseph, The Holy Spirit has given this to your wife. His name will be Jesus. Upon hearing this miraculous news, 
Okay, Joseph is told that his name will be Jesus. We know Jesus means Savior, comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. So he goes from confusion, contemplation, deliberation to now getting this vision, this dream from this angel that he will become the father, the stepfather of the son of God whose name will be Jesus. And you can imagine now that as he was contemplating the Mosaic law of Deuteronomy 22 about divorce, okay, he now starts uh, referring probably to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 37 about the coming Messiah who will give the sal- who will bring salvation to his people in the new covenant. So man, what a shift that's going on here. And notice what the angel says. He says, he shall save. His name means Jehovah's salvation. But when, when the angel is telling Joseph that Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins, this is an emphatic reference that Jesus himself, through personal acts, will save his people from their sins. So I encourage you to look at Romans chapter 5 to unpack the first Adam and the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. He came to atone for our sins. Now, another reference here in verse 22, it says, I was spoken by the prophets. And then, of course, here in Matthew chapter 1, it gives the Isaiah seven fourteen, that's prophetic of what Mary, she is that virgin. She will give birth to the Messiah. Now, I encourage you to go on, on, on the internet and to, to, to look at, or if you have a book, a good book, that you can look at a lot of messianic prophecies that Jesus came to fulfill. So obviously his birth is one of them. And then we'll see in Luke chapter two in the next podcast, being born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2 was another one. The last thing I want to point on is this term Emmanuel. The term Emmanuel, we believe, uh, means you know God with us. Now, the term incarnation, because that's what the whole thing, God being with us, God dwelling with us. And you look at John chapter 1, when the word of God came and, and dwelt among us, this is the incarnation. This is God taking the form of, of flesh. Is a, is, this is a Latin origin of, in, of the term incarnation. It carries a meaning to become in the flesh. Okay, so that's what we mean by, we're talking about Emmanuel, we're talking about the incarnation, God taking on flesh. Now, though the word is not written in the Bible, the scriptural truth and reality of the incarnation is overwhelmingly covered in the history and fulfillment of Christ. The Christian teaching of the incarnation expresses that Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, is the eternal word who took on humanity, which is the second nature, without diminishing his undiminished divine nature as God. This doctrinal view has come down uniformly through the church based solely on the acceptance of the literal virginal conception of Christ in the book of Matthew, which goes back to Abraham, and the book of Luke, which goes back to Adam's genealogy. Now, Joseph was told, remember what we just read, by a dream, through, you know, accompanied by this angel, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Paul writes in Galatians, remember Galatians 4, 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. Now, John expressed that Christ, quote, became flesh and dwelt among us. Chapter 1, verse 14. Though Christ was sinless, John uses a very crude word here in John 1, 14 by using the word flesh. It's the Greek word ekneto. It stresses the point that Christ was human. The influential French theologian John Calvin asserted this in regards to the incarnation of Christ, quote, when it is said that the word was made flesh, we must not understand it as if uh, he were 
either changed into flesh or confusedly intermingled with flesh, but that he made choice of the virgin's womb as a temple in which he might dwell. He who was the Son of God became Son of Man, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For we maintain that the divinity was so conjoined and united with the humanity that the entire properties of each nature remain entire, and yet the two natures constitute only one Christ, end quote. That's from John Calvin. Now, pause. If you need to go back to that and rehear that again, it's fascinating. The, the choice words, the rich theology that the French theologian here, John Calvin, articulates about the incarnation is, I believe, magnificent. It's, it's very, very insightful. Notice again, he says, For we maintain that the divinity was so conjoined and united with humanity that the entire properties of each nature, that's his divinity and his humanity, remain entire, meaning Jesus is fully God and fully man. And yet the two natures constitute only one Christ, meaning one person. So Jesus Christ, according to John Calvin, has two natures, one divine, one human. A uni- a, this is meaning a unity of person, in a, in a duality of natures. Uh, he points out that the role each uniquely played, both separate and the directive of divinity and humanity, both also affirmed the working together of both natures without complete separation and isolation of one another. When Jesus took on flesh, remember the Greek word eknito, he did not cease to be the eternal word, but released himself to take on the mode of humanity without becoming a new being. Peter Lewis, I love this, in his book, The Glory of Christ, he said, quote, Humanity is what the Word assumed. It took up into union with himself at the Incarnation. He did not emerge from it. He entered into it. He came, and unlike us, he chose to come. John chapter 6, 1 Timothy 1, 15, Hebrews 10, 7. One of my heroes of the faith, Dr. Charles Ryrie, he notes in his book, Basic Theology, he says, quote, Though our Lord was not inactive in his pre-incarnate state, his greatest works necessitated the incarnation. Nevertheless, he stands magnificent in his person as the eternal God. But as it were, in the shadows waiting the spotlight of the incarnation to reveal his glory and grace. End quote. Therefore, when you take on account of all these things about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, he retained the total complexity of both divine and human attributes that essentially made up a perfect human being and who is now and forever will be composed in this perfect body. That's the incarnation. So I encourage you, if that was a lot of information, um, and I, what I read was, was, was a, a paper that I'd done years ago, and so, but it's packed with a lot of verses and, 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 and good, rich theology that explains the incarnation. The incarnation. So I encourage you to, 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 to stop and go back and re-rehear re, uh, what I just wrote. I also provide notes to each one of my podcasts so you can look exactly at what I just read. And you download, you go to standstrongministries.org, go to the podcast section, and under each reference, as we're going through the, the study chronologically of the Bible, I have my notes that you can download um, for, for, your, for your Bible study. So now, as I'm wrapping things up, notice it says now in verse 24 
that he took his wife. So after receiving this message, you know, remember, he went from being fearful, contemplating what should he do. He gets this dream from this angel about Jesus coming into the world. And that's why she's pregnant, because God is doing a great work and has called Mary and Joseph to be a part of this. He receives this message. So Joseph goes. He goes from fear and contemplation to now bold action. He takes Mary. This implies taking her into his care and into his home now. So it's kind of a rushed engagement, as you can imagine, given the circumstance. But he doesn't consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born, we're told. All right, so as we wrap this podcast up and you look at what Joseph had to face, here's my question to you. Can you describe... A time in your life when you were going through a difficult situation and you didn't know what to do? I mean, how did you feel? What kind of emotions did you go through? Did you have fear? Did you worry a lot? Uh, Did the worry lead to anger? You see, in whatever difficult time that you and I face, and I know I've had many of them. I've had tons of difficult times. Matter of fact, prepping this podcast uh, earlier today as I was praying and studying God's Word I was reminded of some recent difficulties that I was facing and having to turn to God. Because remember, the Bible tells us to not be anxious, but to offer up our prayers to the Lord, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So no doubt, Joseph had some very difficult decisions to make. However, during his deliberation, I believe when I looked at this passage of scripture with you, Matthew chapter 1, I believe he was praying during that time of deliberation. And I believe, according to Psalm 24, that he was praying for God to direct his paths, to make his truth known to him. And once he received the message from the Lord, it gave him the confidence and the assurance to do the right thing. So likewise, turn to God for answers, just like Joseph did. Have faith in God. Don't give up. And know that when you pray to God, the Bible says that he will hear your prayers. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.